I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hey everybody, welcome to She-Ra, Progressive of Power for another week. My name is Eric for just one more week. And I, of course, am Lauren. I think I'm going to have my name for more than a week. I don't know what's going on with you, buddy. Uh, I've done some stuff. I've got to take off. No, so um, (laughs) we're back in my apartment today because the card studio was booked. I think they're recording a show called Murder Town there. That sounds cool, right? Actually, isn't that like kind of a big deal i feel like i've heard about that podcast before maybe i've heard about it because it's coming soon actually well uh murder town is not a place i'd want to visit regardless of if it's a good show or not well you know what that's true there's a lot of shows named like blank town like uh bez has a show called pleasure town yeah i would visit there sounds nicer yeah maybe it's deceitful though like well, maybe pleasure town is actually where all the murderers hide the, right it's, obvious. <laughs> it's like iceland greenland scenario <laughs> Uh, but we're also recording this the week after the 2017, or rather two days after the 2017 off-year elections, which was kind of interesting. Yes. A little sigh of relief there. So many diverse faces. I, I don't want to overstate it. You know, I don't want to get overconfident in a time where I felt I was overconfident for Hillary. But it's so great seeing women and people of color and even a trans woman elected it's just a breath of fresh air. I, I saw a lot of photos of the people they replaced next to them, and it's like, old white guy, old white guy, old white guy, old white guy, bam, 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 bam. Well, and it's all part of like a wave, it seems, right? Like it was like Democrats across the board had giant wins, which was awesome. So it's very good so far. Yes, I hope we keep voting and keep activating and don't just assume it's fine now because it's not fine but this is good it's a good reason to celebrate oh yeah absolutely i can't imagine i'll ever think it's fine again but it's definitely not fine now but it's better than it was three days ago yeah i mean dark but true so let's talk about this is kind of going to dovetail maybe a little with our last episode about uh, empathy because today we're talking about finding common ground with the episode Unexpected Ally. Lauren, did you expect this episode? Uh, you know, I, I expected an episode like this. I'm surprised it took this long. We're in the like upper 50s or even 60s of the episodes yeah, now. I think it's 52. And for, the, it, for it to take this long for someone to defect from the horde uh, is surprising to me. But here we are. I, I really liked it. Yeah. So this episode opens, as so many do, on a depressed village that has been raided by Horde Greed. And we have a poor family, uh, mother, father, daughter. 
and they have almost nothing to eat, but at least they've paid their taxes. This family's trying to enjoy dinner. Who comes to their door but two horde troopers and this, this man we've never seen before. He looks like a Roman centurion. His name is General Sunder. He is designed by Bruce Timm of Batman the Animated Series fame, which makes a lot of sense because you can see his chin. And uh, he, he tells them that Hordak has double taxes, and they don't have double. So mom and dad get sent to debtor's prison, but the daughter, Molly, Mally, gets uh, kind of locked in a, a an abandoned prison car that they forgot to lock. So she can get out, go tell the rebels... When Adora hears who arrested them, she's like, oh, I remember this guy. He always had a good sense of honor about him, but he wouldn't make a mistake like leaving a door unlocked. So the episode's not really clear about this, but maybe it was a trap. So She-Ra, Glimmer, and Bo go to rescue Mally's parents. Uh, Bo gets himself captured by throwing himself on a stun pistol to save Mally. Then Bo's freedom is traded for She-Ra's. And uh, the robot troopers are like, well, now you have Shiro. why don't you also keep Bo? And Sunder's like, because I made a deal. I always keep my word. Interesting. Uh, Hordak has the same question. He's pissed that they don't have a Bo, but they have a Shira. The rebels go to rescue Shira. Sunder intercepts them. He's like, why are you doing this for your friend? Because it's what rebels do, because we believe in freedom. And then he asks the Horde trooper, would you do this for me? And the trooper says, hell no. And so Sunder realizes that even though he's been a part of the Horde his whole life, he's kind of been duped. He has nothing in common with them. He messes up the trooper, and then she gives this really moving speech about how, you know, even though this is your whole life, like, you've been a soldier, you can be a soldier for us. Join the right side. So he decides to do that, gets a little hurt in the exit. Uh, the end of the episode, he's being patched up by the farmer's daughter, Mally. Seems like there's some romance there. But that's basically the episode. This general guy changes sides. Did I get it? Yeah. So I want to back up because I heard you say the episode doesn't really cover why the cage was left unlocked. And Adora seems very sure. We have no reason to doubt her that this was an intentional thing. I didn't get trap, though. I got that maybe from the beginning of this episode, Sunder is already having doubts and maybe has for a while because if he and Adora were close in any way, he had to have watched Adora leave. And I kind of wondered if maybe that's been living with him this whole time. That's probably right. Yeah, it seemed like he didn't hold the daughter guilty for uh, the farmer not paying his taxes. And he even, I omitted this part, he stands up to Hordak about the uh, the unreasonableness of the taxes in one of the episode's coolest scenes. Uh, he literally says, Hordak, your taxes are unreasonable. And... Mantena says, yes, well, Hordak's unreasonable, and then he gets dumped in the trapdoor. There's a lot of trapdoor drops in quick succession. Uh, I, I do love that taxes in fiction are so often used as this just sign of oppression and villainy, whether it's uh, you know Robin Hood or the, or the literal Bible. Tax collectors are always such jerks. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. There's a scene like Hordak's literally growling growling about uh uh tax evaders is like the exact term he uses, which I don't imagine there's any other eighties cartoon where like the villain talked about tax evasion outside of maybe like Christmas Carol adaptations. Evader's a pretty big word for someone who didn't know admirer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hordak knew what an admirer was. So oh yeah, that's right, he did. 
Anyway, uh, the, the line, these taxes are unreasonable from Sunder was interesting to me as well, because, again, if Sunder's been in the Horde his whole life, what Kool-Aid was he drinking up until this point? Like, what did he think he was he was in? Because, of course, it's like this. Did you not see these decades of the Horde just burning people's houses down for basically no reason? I'm wondering if he was like stationed off in some low activity area or something. That's the story I'm I'm missing. Yeah, because we all saw Adora go on this journey in the second episode where she sees all the horrible things the Horde does. And then Shadow Weaver puts her under her spell. It's not implied that there's any kind of magic trickery here. It kind of seems a little bit like he just does what the Horde says because that's the life he was born into, which I think is also kind of interesting. Yeah, he uses the word duty. He says, I fear it is my duty to arrest you. And so, if anything, you know, I didn't think of this at the time, but we've talked about this in a previous episode, how not every soldier on in an evil army, fictional or real, is a bad person. Like I think I've said before, surely there were Nazis in Nazi Germany who were just doing their jobs. Um I, I sure wish they wouldn't have just done their jobs. I sure wish history had gone differently faster. But there's got to be people in the Horde, too, who this is just their gig, you know? And I guess this is the first time we're seeing one. Yeah, and I mean, if there is some kind of propaganda network on Etheria like there is in reality, maybe Sunder's the guy that people point to. I want to say like the John McCain, but that analog doesn't really hold up. But you know what I mean of like the look. No, he's he's honorable and he's on our side. Like you get it. He's honorable. He's on our side. He also has a human face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very taken with the fact that we basically introduced a new character who looked quote unquote normal compared to the other characters we follow and like and the oppressed people. You know, imagine if this were the day Mantena came over to the Rebels. I think it would be a lot harder to do just because these these weird-looking creatures with weird voices, they're all so cartoonishly evil. Like, we had to introduce someone who wasn't cartoonishly evil and who was just a guy to even entertain this concept. And this episode leans into something we've talked about a lot on this show, which is the Horde embracing themselves as the bad guys. Yeah. That whole scene in the Fright Zone where, you know, Hordak talks about how devious it is to double their taxes because, of course, it's not fair. There's, like, no errors that he is doing, like, a just thing. He's clearly just being evil, and Sunder is not about that. Right. There's no universe in which Hordak says... Well, I'm trying to expand my evil space program and I need X dollars to build ships with my face on it. He just doesn't give a reason (laughs) other than he enjoys being mean.
and th- that's why I wanted to talk about this episode is because I wonder if there are analogs to General Sunder. You know, I wonder if there's people on the other side of people like you and I that we can find common ground with and whether it is worth it. And I think after Tuesday, after the elections, this this conversation becomes a little more interesting just because it seems like things aren't as hopeless for us now. So maybe we don't need to as much as I thought we did a few weeks ago. One of the things about Virginia specifically is Danica Rowan immediately after winning was interviewed and the reporter kind of encouraged her to trash her opponent you know it's how do you feel after this fight and what would you like to say to Bob and her opponent I think pretty famously uh, wrote or either was a major supporter of the transgender bathroom bill and so it's this huge win to have her triumph over him and what she said was he's my constituent now I don't talk badly about my constituents she was immediately able to humanize her opponent in a world that right now is very polarizing and very aggressive it would be so easy right now to be like eat it bigot and and she didn't and that is the thing that gives me hope for the future maybe we don't have to talk like this to and about one another for the rest of our lives yeah i that's where i fall too i think it is it's nice to try to be aware of common humanity and as much as I think people like General Sunder are maybe a little bit of like a a liberal's wet dream, like maybe there's not a lot of him just like ready to jump as soon as they see the air of their ways, I think it's nice to keep trying. Um, but I think what you're saying, which I agree with, is it's like a, a, a salve to partisanship, which is really a problem. So today some allegations came out about Roy Moore, who's running for Senate in Alabama, that he uh, harassed, assaulted, raped for underage women and i mean speaking about partisanship so alabama geneva county gop chairman riley siebenhainer i'm sure i butchered that said this other than being with an underage person he didn't really force himself if he withdraws it's five weeks to the election that would concede it to the democrats Yeah, I was literally sitting in my car waiting for a couple minutes to pass before I came into your place. And some voter said that Mary, as in Mary, mother of Jesus from the Bible, was a teenager and Joseph was an adult carpenter. So this isn't so bad. Uh, And I, I basically was trying not to vomit. Are you ready for this? That wasn't a voter. Oh. That was, uh, Alabama State Auditor Jim Ziegler. Oh, God. An elected official. Here is where my optimism, I guess, just won't die. I read the quote at a glance as I was coming here and just assumed that no elected official would say something so vile. Oh, no. Yeah, well, and see, maybe, and no offense to my lovely friends from Alabama, but maybe there's a way in which Alabama is, like, cartoonishly on the wrong side of a lot of issues. Um, but you know, you hear shit like that. And then I think about Hordak in this episode, uh, saying, you know, basically talking about how good it is to be evil. And like, yeah, we've talked so much before about Hordak would have seemed fanciful 30 years ago and now he seems too real. And here it is again with people saying, well, sure. He 
molested children, but he's not a Democrat. Oh, that's what Hordak says in the episode. You made a deal with a rebel? Like, yeah. it's the same thing. So, I don't know. I guess my overall question to you is, do you feel like there are any General Sunders? And is it worth courting them? I think we kind of talked about the last part. But if you look at, like, the healthcare vote, right? So... We mentioned McCain. There's also Murkowski. There's also Collins. Like, three Republican senators who seem at least human, right? Like, people like that, I think those are the sunders. Like, we may not agree on everything, but it's worth having a conversation. Sure. I have very complicated feelings about John McCain. I feel like so many times John McCain is a lot of talk and then ends up voting in the wrong direction anyway. Uh, unfortunately, it seems very recently, while he is literally dying, he is a lot more action, which is is sad, but I, I appreciate and it's kind of changing my heart about him. But to your question, I think there are General Sunders, but I don't think we're going to be surprised by who they turn out to be. Sort of as you say, I would put John McCain in a camp like that. John McCain clearly has a line that can be crossed with what is too unethical. We're starting to see it. But he was there back when President Obama was in office defending President Obama against birtherism. Incidentally, birtherism was led mostly by Donald Trump and his ilk, but we knew back then even when the Democrats were in office that this person was willing to cross party lines for something he felt in his heart was right. I don't think somebody who's comparing a child molester to a figure from the Bible is going to be one of the people that crosses over. The people who cross over are, you know, are, are nice coworkers who we enjoy working with. And sometimes they say something racist, but they're also really cool to work with. And it's it's tough, but we we, we stay their friends or... The family members who you see at holidays, and sometimes those holidays are painful, but you manage to keep the conversation going every Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter because you have to. Those are the people who you can change a little bit, or maybe they make you change too. And I think Sunder's background speaks to that a little bit because he keeps telling Shira that he was born into it. Like, it's the only life he knows. And not to be patronizing, but I think for a lot of people... Who, yeah, I mean, right, there's a level of evil of like, oh, this guy was just doing what Joseph did when he molested a child. That's unreachable. That's Hordak. Uh, that's like dumber Hordak. But there's people who I think mean well and just this was the, what their family taught them and they grew up with the wrong language and the wrong outputs and it's at least worth trying to have a conversation with them i think so maybe yeah like we mccain and murkowski and collins maybe are even easy examples what about someone like lindsey graham because you want to talk about someone who speaks out against trump and then always votes his way like i wonder if people like graham are reachable it seems like he should be but he lives in fear of his constituents i i don't know he always talks shit about trump and always votes with him yeah well you have to wonder in a situation like that What's the actual motivation? Because if you always talk one way and you always vote another, it just feels like you're trying to get votes from both sides. And so it's almost like neither one of those things is completely honest. It's just trying to win. To me, that feels self-motivated instead of party-motivated. 
I agree. And I mean, like General Sunder was one guy out of what hundreds, thousands. Maybe the lesson of this episode is like target the ones you can who are noble and have power and dignity and try to reach them. You don't see She-Ra trying to convince Grizzlor to come over. No, uh my favorite scene in this episode was when we see Sunder sort of try to do that with his own side. He asks one of the robots, one of the troopers, see what She-Ra has done and and Bo has done, see what they've done for each other. Would you act that way too? And the robot's like, "Nah, never. I'd never do that for anybody." And Sunder's response is this very terse, no, I don't suppose you would. But he tried. Like, and for for a moment, he tried to say, like, listen, odds are low because <laughs> you're literally a heartless robot. But do you have anything in there that resembles empathy? He tried to, to extend that olive branch. Boy, this episode took a lot of delight in the fact that the enemies are mostly robots, by the way. Did you see all the violence being committed against the troopers this time out? Yeah, well, I noticed that the most graphic thing kind of happened in a bill of hay. Yes, Bo, Bo rips ripped th- one of their heads off. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking, like, He-Man kind of did that back in the third episode, but we don't see the head pop off. I think you said this maybe episode one. I think they get away with it because they're robots. Mm-hmm. But it was still surprising. We're going to go back to my favorite topic, which is why is She-Ra's identity secret? And I really, I think, saw it for the first time this episode. And I don't think it was actually there to be found. It was more just a revelation I had. I wouldn't want people telling me when to become She-Ra. There's so often in this show where we get to see Adora sort of use her negotiation skills or her forgiveness or just her ability to be a good listener and and she-ra just punches and kicks and something about the scene right up before her transformation when she just ran off into the woods to transform i realized Bo would probably be insisting that she transform all the time Bo is such a like fighter rough and tumble go get him guy he'd always just be like become she-ra right now punch them and that's not that's not what I'm about. And so I finally, I think, get it. Shira, you deserve to transform only on your own terms. Nobody's the boss of you. I also didn't realize that Glimmer has some sort of superpowers. I mean, it's sort of just Jubilee-esque. She was just shooting fireworks. But because I, I, I'm selectively watching episodes, I'm not watching them all. I now have this question like, who has powers that I don't know about? <laughs> How much more am I going to be surprised? Well, I mean, granted, yeah, we've only sampled 15 or so episodes, but Glimmer seems to have been kind of forgotten a lot in this series, so it's a surprise even when she's in an episode. Uh, Did you notice, because I sure did, that her and and Molly 
Mally have almost the exact same voice. Yeah. Like this was definitely a part where the limited voice actors worked against them because there's a scene where they're conversing together and it's the same voice. Yeah, and Mally also went into some vocal fry and I was like, is that Catra? What's going on here? <laughs> It's starting to show. It's starting to show. I mean, these people are extraordinarily talented. I right. could not make that many voices if I tried. I mean, yeah, the fact that there's basically three of them plus the producer and his daughter, it's incredible. Um, but that said, yeah, in an episode like this, it does show. Like, I thought uh, it was probably George DeCenzo who does Hordak and Bo did Sunder because he's the man. The and guy. he did a good job. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that actor, if that is who that is doesn't get the chance to be normal very often no and you know what that is an interesting point that sunder is a normal like he's a human in the horde like adora he's not ugly he doesn't have a funny voice how did he get to be in the horde we'll never know do you want to know a fun fact about sunder's future though yes he comes back in a season two episode he's one of the few like side characters that actually returns and he is married to mally and they have a daughter because for some reason it's like years in the future. All right. That's yeah. cute. Yeah. That's cute because we talk so often, even just in the last episode, about characters that just pop in and then are gone. The wizard from the last episode being an example. And so thanks for the continuity. That's nice. Yeah, I thought so. I think this episode resonated with a lot of people, people on staff, fans. I always liked this episode. I liked a it a kid. lot, except for where he broke his leg. That was a real stupid way to break a leg. I, was it the implication just that his armor was too heavy? Yeah, I actually kind of liked that just because I thought it was neat for the show to pay attention to the fact that Ador- or She-Ra and uh, Bo are like fairly lithe, but this dude in like Centurion armor would not quite be so lithe. Maybe. I, I guess as a costumer, I was still unsure if components of Shira's outfit and Bo's outfit were also armor and how heavy they might be. Mm. I don't feel like the difference would be that tremendous, but I guess it was. I think the leg break was just an excuse to get his pants off in the final scene and have Mally bandage him up. Yeah, and his mask off too. Yeah. I mean helmet. He uh real real gorgeous 80s cartoon guy under there well that's why i'm saying like it's once you hear bruce tim design them it's like yeah that makes sense he's got that chiseled chin he's kind of like a proto clark kent from superman the animated series just like this real buff like forward looking guy (laughs) nice hair yeah very uh and nice guy so you like this episode i did i did um Right back to what I said at the beginning, I'm I'm surprised we didn't see this episode sooner, but it's definitely a, a great addition to just the climate of this war. It, it it makes you think that if it could happen once, maybe a revolution will start, and maybe it could happen again. And you'd think, see, this is the the corollary of finding people like this in real life, right? Is you'd think they are better equipped to bring others to your side. Well. Sure. I guess in this case, the others are robots. <laughs> For now. <laughs> Maybe there's a bunch of other humans hanging out in the off season. There's got to be somewhere. Yeah.
Let's do the moral. Not a bad moral. Um, kind of vanilla, but okay. Uh, did you find Lucky this time, by the way? I did. Me too. Uh, so Lucky says, have you ever said it's too late to change bad habits or mistakes you've made? Remember, it's never too late to make a change for the better. There's always one last chance. Which is pretty much Sunder's revelation at the end is like just because he's lived as a horde person his whole life doesn't mean he has to keep doing that which is a good lesson i actually really liked this moral i think because it was a little more vague um you could kind of take what you wanted to take from it there are some that are so literal like if someone's bullying you blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> or if you see someone without a friend blah, blah 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 and this is just if there's anything about yourself that you'd like to change on any timeline it's possible i also thought it was so precious that he connected it to the viewer's ability to find lucky the thing he said was if you didn't find me i'll give you one more chance see just one more chance and you found me oh i didn't even notice that that's cool it made me like really smile you can hear it in my voice right now i was like look you're really encouraging yeah i get what you're saying though and i think it's successful too because it like, that is the moral of Sunder's story, but the episode doesn't really make that the prime point anyway. So it's just like Lookie taking a broad moral and then applying it everywhere. And I bet you also liked it because he doesn't say tell your parents at any point. <laughs> if you want to change something, ask your parents if you should. Bye now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Lookie was a little bit uh, a little bit more real this time. Yeah. Didn't stick to the script as much. Yeah. I appreciated it. Uh, this resonated with me for another reason, too. So a couple weeks before this recording happened, uh, my friend Laura Nunn texted me to say I was supposed to be going out with this guy tonight and he's ditching on me. Do you want to go on a date? And I was like, girl, yeah. What are we going to do? And we saw Patrick Stewart. Ooh. Sir Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard, uh, he was in town for uh, an inter international film festival and he was getting a Lifetime Achievement Award and we just got to see him talk about his career for an hour and he said a lot of lovely things about art and relationships and personal growth and one of the last things he talked about was, you know, he's an old guy but he changes all the time. Uh, you know, really good film or a really good working experience makes you a different person than you were when you started. And his whole point was it's never too late to change. You know, at his age, at my age, at yours, whatever age, he, he keeps going in his life because he wakes up every morning thinking that like, Today I can still change. Today I could still experience something and become something new. And Lucky said what he said. And I was like, yeah, I was recently really affected by this. I'm glad to hear it again. That's really cool. I, about a year ago, had a kind of similar revelation. I really like that in excess song, Don't Change. But I was thinking about, like, how weird it is, you know, sometimes like culturally as an affectation when you're like saying goodbye to someone you'll say like oh never change and there it struck me that that's more of like a curse than a nice thing to say like <laughs> how could you wish that on anybody not to change that's horrible it's like you know people should change they should like be growing and finding what's best for them and growing into that like you can't if you never change you end up like donald trump this fucking sad loser kid who is a horrible narcissist who just always wants his daddy's love 
Yeah, I was just talking to my best friend Susan yesterday about this because apparently Donald Trump, while in Japan, ate uh, a meal where everyone else was eating traditional Japanese food. He demanded American beef with ketchup. And I was like, this is a literal child behavior, you know, like overcooked meat and ketchup, which is, you know, delicious because it hits all of your taste buds like it's it's sweet it's sour it's it's all the flavors it's so good but it's it's what kids eat when their when their palates aren't evolved at all and they think things are too spicy or too hot they're just like no I want overcooked meat and ketchup and he just is rich enough and powerful enough that he doesn't have to expand or change or widen his experiences at all he just keeps eating overcooked beef and ketchup even when he's in a food hub of our planet. I went to Japan a couple years ago. I dream about that food every day. So I think Lookie's real life moral this time is, it's never too late to change. And if you don't change, you become like our president. <laughs> don't be that. Yeah, when someone says don't change, what they're really saying is, please keep the things about you that I like. And that's a fair thing to wish. I think you could just say it a little bit more clearly. Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. Just like the Rebels used their wisdom and passion to help flip General Sunder, we can all use our resources to help turn the electoral map blue again. A great resource for that is Flippable, a progressive organization that identifies the most vulnerable Republican seats in state races and supplies ample resources to the Democrats running against them. You can learn more and help out the cause at flippable.org.